The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by Bright Peak Financial, a non-for-profit membership organization providing Christians with the right products, tools, and resources to gain financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to create your financial success story. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Hello, welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. We're coming off of a two or three week break. It seems like it's been longer than that since I've been with you. And today I have a great show set up for you. Today I am interviewing and having a a lively discussion with New Thought Historian and the Senior Minister of the New Thought Center for Spiritual Living in Lake Oswego, Oregon, the Reverend Dr. David Alexander. How you doing, Reverend David? I am well, sir. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Also, uh, uh, Reverend David has uh, one of the best websites you'll ever see when if you want to look at New Thought History, uh, which is NewThoughtHistory.org. You can go on. You can trace names. I love the mind mapping. We were just having a conversation about that. But going into the conversation, obviously, we just want to make this relaxed and, and, you know, we can have some conversations about the New Thought History and your opinions and positions. And, you know, let, let's make it very lively. But I do want to give people an opportunity if they are listening and they want to ask you a question to uh, be able to call in. So let me put, uh, give the number first, which is. 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. If you, want, if you have questions about new thought in general, this is a time to be able to ask. We have an expert. We have a person who's dedicated, um, you know, many, many, many years to uh, studying, getting the resources necessary to uh, find out about the traditions of the Christian new thought, metaphysical mind cure, uh, progressive Christianity, uh, uh, metaphysics, mysticism, and all the other things that they show up in, in the, in the <laughs> conglomeration of ideas we call new thought. So this is a great opportunity to take advantage of that. Again, the number is 888-558-6489. So Reverend David, how you doing? 
I am doing very well, uh, and it's an honor to to be here. I know you and I have talked many times about uh, these subjects, and uh, you're doing a great job with this show, and also there at Christ Universal Temple. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's just great to be with you. Thank you, thank you. Well, um, could you let the uh, audience know a little bit about yourself before we get started with some questions and dialogue? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. You know, part of what makes me so interested in New Thought uh, history is that I was uh, born in this uh, tradition. Uh, matter of fact, I'm just uh, in conversations with um, Science of Mind magazine where I uh, have a, a monthly column in there uh, based on the works of Ernest Holmes and um, talking about that magazine celebrating its 90th uh, year. Uh, coming up in October, coming up in October, and uh, I'm going to write a special article for them, uh, telling my story because how I came to New Thought was because a coworker of my mother's uh, some 40 years ago uh, gave her a copy of Science of Mind magazine, and uh, when she was at a particular time in her life where she needed some upliftment and encouragement, and um, it really helped, and she liked it, and she asked her co-worker who later became one of her best and dearest friends um you know what what was this thing she was handing her <laughs> and um she said well there's a local church here that you know teaches these things if you ever want to go or want somebody to go with um i'd be happy to make that connection for you and she did and because she did i was raised in that tradition uh from about the time i was i think about two or three years old is about when that was happening so almost 40 years um, and, uh, it's been a huge blessing in my life. And, and I'm just, I think by nature, I'm just very curious. I like to know the history and the context of things. And, um, cause it, it gives me a deeper sense of connection to it. So being raised in this tradition and then, uh, moving up through the years doing teen ministry and, uh, social work out in the secular world, uh, and then moved into ministry and, um, I'm kind of running running very quick through all this history, but a uh, number of years ago, moving out to Oregon to be a director of a big youth program at an independent New Thought church uh, called Living Enrichment Center. And after two years, that church closed, and we started a new work uh, that, that I became the founding minister of, co-founding minister. Uh, and that was now 12 years ago, so... Uh, New Thought Ministries of Oregon, which then later affiliated with Centers for Spiritual Living and became uh, New Thought Center for Spiritual Living. Uh, I've been there now for 12 years. Uh, currently, I serve on the Leadership Council for Centers for Spiritual Living. I'm the um, a chair of the Leadership Council. I'll hold that position for another six months. I've been on there for five years. Um, I'm on the board of the Association for Global New Thought, the Science of Mind Archives Board, <laughs> and a number of other things uh, uh, locally. But that's, that's a quick and dirty rundown of the resume, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, well, uh, obviously, as you're going through those things, I was playing in my mind like, wow, he's busy too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. You, you know, in our movement, when they find anyone that's um, – uh, young and zealous, <laughs> they say, "Okay, come on, come on, we got something else for you to do." And, and you know, so you know, I've, I've been grinding now for a, a, a good twenty-one years, twenty-three, twenty-three yeah. years now since I uh, walked into Christ Universal Temple. So I get it. So, yeah. uh, just starting off with you know, just some you know, some general conversation. Uh, one of the things I ask people about New Thought. In general, before I get into like historical questions, is you know what do you think the new that new thought can bring to the world today? The message of new thought. Well, that is uh, probably you know one of my favorite questions because it is a bridge between our history and honor, honoring our, our legacy and where we've come from, what, uh, what has been the bedrock of our teachings, um, and then extending that forward now into current context, uh, day and age, and, and what is needed in the world. And those are slightly different things, but they're not 
in competition with each other. We're not, uh, I don't view our evolution as an, as an organization or a collection of organizations and as a movement. I don't view it as a competition. You know, we're not trying to hold on to the past and preserve, um, you know, the, the sacred dogmatic <laughs> uh, legacy because uh, we don't believe in dogma. Um, but we do want to honor our history and 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 remember the principles that uh, brought us this far, and articulate them in a new uh, way that speaks to the world. And I do think that shows up a little bit differently. So if I can expand on that a little bit, the, the new thought of old, um, if we can say that, right? The old new thought <laughs> um, is. You know, obviously, a, a healing movement. It's uh, founded in this tradition of affirmative prayer, the power of the mind, uh, the the power of affirmation, meditation, daily spiritual practice. It is very much uh, uh, an individualistic uh, kind of idea. It's about you know your mind is your business, and uh, and so be about your business and and. Be watchful over your mind and your thoughts, and as you do that uh, with great care uh, and focus, then you bring greater good into your life and prosperity and health and wholeness and all these things which the universal intelligence uh, has available for you and has always had available for you. And that's a beautiful, uplifting, empowering idea for anybody who interacts. And, And I think... Anybody listening to this, anybody who today attends a New Thought Center, they will recognize everything that I just said basically is their story, uh, right? I mean, uh, yeah. I might be, people like me are a bit of an exception and they're raised in it, but you walked, you just said, you know, when you walked in the doors, I'm sure that your life was um, at a particular place when you walked in the doors and the message hit you in a way that said, wow, I can, I can use this to lift myself up and to create a better life. Um, And that will always be who we are and, um, you know, a huge part of who we are. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And today, through, uh, I think, through the ongoing practice of those principles, the continued expansion of them, and the way the one mind works, right? If we begin with this premise of oneness, we begin with this premise of infinite intelligence connecting all things, then we, you and I ought to, ought to suppose that that universal intelligence is revealing itself through all manifestation of, of, uh, of creation and creativity. So, so it is uh, manifesting itself or revealing itself through the advent of technology that allows you and I to have this conversation, that uh, the social media, Facebook, cell phone cameras, uh, you know, the, the Internet, the World Wide Web is a is a beautiful symbol uh, of the one mind. Right. For, for hundreds, hundreds, but, but thousands of years, ancient wisdom uh, has been talking about this universal intelligence, this one mind that we can tap into at any time and receive a direct answer. Uh, well, hello, Google, Yelp, Bing, <laughs> you know, uh, Siri, Echo, um, they all are uh, uh, symbolic representations of uh, that principle. And so the creative intelligence of this mind is beginning to manifest itself through the, the physical nature of our, of our universe, if that, if that makes sense. Um, and with that being the case, we're more connected now to to the world. We're more connected to the village of humanity. We've always been connected. We've always been one with our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and, and the continent of Africa and the Ukraine and, and everywhere else, all, all the continents. Uh, but the technology today makes that more apparent. And so that brings us to a place of what do we do about this idea of oneness in connection with all of our brothers and sisters in the world. And uh, this instant access to that oneness, and then what seems to be this, this juxtaposed position of individualistic, take care of thyself, honor, you know, be mindful of your own mind and thoughts, um, and just be responsible for that. Uh, and what happens when you log on to Facebook and you see somebody 
being murdered in their car by a police officer live. So we have new questions all of a sudden about the application of this teaching. Am I really to just sit back and say, well, I'm an individual and I'm in charge of my mind and my thoughts and they're in charge of their mind and their thoughts? I don't think so. I, I think the answer is that we are all one and this technology is revealing to me just how one we are, how connected we are, uh, how one village we are. And if I have things that I would do for my family, for my children, uh, I'm a stepfather of a 11 year old African American son and, uh, and will be a father of, um, my own biological child come December. Uh, there are things that I would do for my stepson and, and for my soon-to-be son. Um, you know, anyone would. I know you're a parent. You would do things. You want your food, your children to have food, to be have clothes, to be happy, to be well-educated, um, because you are a part of them. You are connected to them. And so now we have to ask ourselves, well, the commandment, love thy neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Where does that stop? Or does it stop? And I don't think it does. So so suddenly we are now needing to articulate ways to bring our principles of oneness and connection and empowerment to the world in a um, what has previously not been articulated such with this label, but what I would define as a social gospel. New thought, yeah. new yeah. thought needs a social gospel message. We've had an individual gospel message. We've had good news. There's no, it's not to deny, you know, none of this. That's why I say it's a bridge, right? It doesn't deny or take away from our legacy. Our legacy is powerful. It's important and it will never go away because you'll always, you'll always come down to the practical application of the individual. Um, but now we're building a bridge today to a social gospel. Uh, to a social justice action oriented uh, message. And I think we have a huge role to play in helping bring about uh, uh, change and, and love and oneness and unity in the world uh, through those avenues, through those avenues of a social gospel message and social justice action. Yeah, I, I would agree. Matter of fact, I, um, last month I did two sermons. I hope they're still on YouTube. Uh, one was called Who and What is God? Part three and then the divinity of humankind. And in those sermons, one of the things that I argued was the reason why the new thought message is so important is our concepts about God and humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I mentioned and we have like a break in three minutes. So I say this quickly is that well, because we teach, I was teaching the paradoxes of God, you know, personal versus principle, you know, law, grace, all that type of stuff. But one of the things that I did was I addressed how religion has promoted a concept of God that's not taught in new thought. And with the understanding that if you teach a violent God, sooner or later you're going to produce violent uh, practitioners. And this, what was crazy about the sermon, uh, Reverend David, is that the evening before I changed the whole sermon. You know how you, you get in a space where spirit is working with you and you end up changing everything you prepare for. So I wrote a whole new sermon Saturday night. By the time I, I longhand, and then I had to type it. By the time I finished, it's like one o'clock in the morning. I yes. get up in the morning. Of course, I'm in spirit. I'm not watching the news or whatever. I think I might have outside the lines on ESPN in the background. Get to get to <laughs> church, preach a full sermon, and then when the sermon is over, a, a parishioner comes up to me and says that lesson was right on time about the violence and how religion promotes violence and separation and divisiveness and things of that nature, especially. Uh, because of what happened in Orlando last night. And I said to him, what happened in Orlando last night? Uh And he said, you don't know? I was like, no, I was off the grid with this sermon, you know. And he told me, and I preached exactly about what was happening without Uh realizing it. Yeah. Because the the message is the message. Yes. And then the so the next week I just went in harder and started talking about, you know, when you teach a God that solves problems with violence, sacrificial murder, mm-hmm. wiping out the humanity, you know, Noah's Ark, you know, killing babies in Egypt and things of that nature. When you teach that, you teach violence and you teach yes. that it's a sacredness to violence. And until we can step back and really be unapologetic about our message, because what I've discovered many times is some of us um, we whisper our message. 
right. we don't say it directly. Like, you know, I'll tell a person, I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't teach that. And and then give them a reason to have the dialogue about the alternative. They, they don't have to agree with me. But I'll just say, you know, you know, violent, when you teach a violent God, you teach, you know, and I talked about how when people teach the second coming, they, they're preaching that they believe that it's okay for, and they're cool and comfortable with God destroying 5.2 billion people because it's only 2.4 billion Christians and it's 7.4 billion people on the planet. These are the things that we have to reevaluate. And I think the new thought in our concept of, uh, of humanity being divine and sacred, like God and yes. God not being a, uh, what I call the smackdown God is something that we bring, that we, that brings value to the conversation of religion in the world. It's, we, we just reached a time where I have to take this first break. So let me say this. Uh, we're going to take our first break and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world that's easier than ever with mobile giving just text unity radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives what does simple living sound like to you is it a quiet moment on your front porch A cold beverage after a long day. Or maybe spending quality time with your family. Whatever it is, simple living is a powerful act of joy, abundance, and refreshment. Want to simplify your life? Join the Simple Living Challenge by Bright Peak Financial. It's an inspiring and easy 14-day challenge to help you cut down on life's clutter to lead a simpler, more balanced life. Go to simplelivingchallenge.com to sign up. notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. All right, welcome back to Truth Transforms. Um, I'm interviewing uh, Reverend David Alexander, who's a New Thought historian. Uh, Before we get back to the questions, I do want to remind you that this show, along with all the shows on Unity Online Radio, are supported by your donations. So as you freely receive, freely give, go to unity.fm, click the donate button, and help support this online ministry. Also, I want to make sure that you are aware that this show has a Facebook page, which is Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Um, like the page on Facebook, leave comments on it, and you know you can also contact me through the inbox. It's the quickest way to get in contact with me versus the the, the official email that comes up in the commercial. I check that, but I check the Facebook page more. Uh, also. Uh, I do want to make sure that, you know, everyone's aware that this show is these shows are also available on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have iTunes, obviously, most people know what that is. Stitcher is an app for Android devices that allows you to download the podcast to your mobile devices. So go on, like it, um, whatever they need to do when you write comment, 
commentary on the different things you listen to. It helps whatever, you know, digital, uh, forgot is something. What, what is it called, uh, Reverend David, when you have algorithm or algorithm or something like that? It helps it rise. But anyway, so make sure that you go on and do all of that stuff. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I didn't even know what Stitcher was, so I was just listening to you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Stitcher is like, so if you have a, like a Samsung or something like that, okay. you don't have iTunes on your phone or your tablet, you can go directly to Stitcher. It's an online radio app that allows you to download uh, free radio, internet radio shows. So awesome. that's what it is. So make sure that you get, you take advantage of that and you can take me with you everywhere you go. Now, um, also, uh, one last thing before we get to the show. I want back to the show. I want to let you all know I did send an email. I did request that you all give me ideas for the next book that I'm going to teach. And most likely, I don't know if I'm going to do it in mid, late August or start fresh in September because there's some people I'm interviewing and I also have some, some commitments that I, that will require me to miss a show here and there. But I'm going to teach Open Your Mind to Prosperity by Catherine Ponder. So I'm giving you all heads up so you can make sure you get the book. All right, Reverend David, let's talk about your website um, and how it works and, and and what people can receive from linking on it and uh, and playing around with all of this good data you have on it. Yeah, let's do that. Well, thank first of all, thank you for uh, mentioning it. I mean, I have to kind of begin with a sort of an apology. I have not been on the site to update it in, in quite a while. Uh, and it began as basically, a, uh, you know, a, a pet project when I was single, <laughs> you know, up late at night, uh, reading books. And, and because I'm a, a visual thinker, you know, I'd read a, these books on New Thought history or uh, biographies of some of the New Thought leaders and uh, researching stuff online. And the way my mind works is in a in a visual, in a visual, uh, tactile sense. And so I thought, I want to make this information that's just on black and white, you know, print on pages uh, come alive and and be interactive. Uh, I want to see the faces of these people. And, and when it says that, you know, they studied with so-and-so or went to Harvard or uh, th- these sorts of things that, you know, I'm, the wheels in my mind started uh, working and grinding and saying, well, what, what could I do to kind of make that information uh, be more interactive and come alive? And I was shocked to find out that the website, newthoughthistory.com uh, and .org, I think I bought them both, <laughs> was available. Uh, so I snatched it up and then started finding, you know, some template tools to uh, to use and some interactive uh, creative tools. And so that's where it came from. It was really a pet project. There's uh, there's definitely a donate button on there. Is it something I do in my spare time? I run a center full time and it hasn't had a lot of attention lately, but there is some good stuff on there. Um, there's PDFs, uh, people who have, who have done projects for classes at their centers on New Thought History. Uh, they've sent me those papers or those uh, art pieces or that sort of thing. Uh, there's some charts, some that I've developed, some that others have developed. Um, and so that's all under the resources section. Under the leaders, I've got a list of some of the key leaders. It's obviously not uh, exhaustive, but what I've tried to do there is create a page for each of them and, again, give you one page where you can interact with uh, their biography information, see the timeline of their life, um, you know, scroll and interact with that. Then there's a there's an overall timeline under the timeline tab that allows you to, again, scroll through history uh, of new thought and see where in time and space some of these things, uh, major things took place. And then there's the history mind map, uh, which uh, I know you know of, uh, Reverend Gale. Uh, so uh, the history mind map is, uh, I use this software called Personal Brain, or now I think it's just called The Brain. Uh, and it's just a, a archiving, uh, documenting kind of a software that... The, we originally was for PCs, and now they, they have a version for Mac as well, or for Apple. <clears throat> and uh, when I saw it, I thought, oh, this is a great tool for, for mind mapping uh, ideas, because you can do a basic a traditional mind map, but have it come alive. So if you've ever gone to virtual thesaurus or virtual virtualdictionary.com, and you put in a word, and then you put in that word, and then all the other words associated with it pop up in this sort of floating, interactive way, 
that's that's basically kind of what it is. And uh, so I thought, well, this is a really cool way because on a traditional you know tree, a mind map tree, if you will, you're limited to the size of the paper, and you know, you're basically limited to one dimension. And the history mind map allows us to be completely multi-dimensional and have have an infinite uh, realm to play in. So if we learn that somebody lived in Los Angeles, went to Harvard, studied with so-and-so, was friends with so-and-so, we can make all those connections. And then as I read another book and I learn that somebody else had the same connections, I go in and I plug them in, I do all of that. And actually that piece, the the history mind map, has actually been um, donated to the Science Mind Archives. So there's now an iPad and a projector at the Science Mind Archives. You can go and you can interact on the iPad uh, with the mind map and have it projected on the wall. Um, and they are uh, uh, managing the upkeep of it. I can still interact with it and put in updates, but they're managing it <clears throat> from their end now. Um, so I, need anyway, on it, I need to be on it. <laughs> I know. You need to be on it. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and on the leader section of New Thought History, I did put in a page on Mary Tumpkin, uh, after she passed. And I even put a link. I did it prior to the service. I put a link to the, when they were doing the funeral service. Uh, I haven't been back in there to do that with, with Johnny Coleman, but I would love, uh, some, photographs or some information if you could give me some biographical information that i could create in a visual timeline uh i would love to put that on there johnny coleman uh needs to be on there uh with her own page ways but she needs to be on there in her own page um focused on her um so i'd be happy to do that be delighted to do that we'll uh, make sure you get we'll make sure you get the information you need um absolutely so that was, that was basically the idea of the site. It was it was to be for for students, for teachers. If you're teaching a class, you could go to the site and download a PDF or a chart, or or you know hook up the timeline or the or the mind map uh, to a projector and use it in your classroom. It's basically just a resource site to again create interactivity with our new thought history uh, that's visually appealing and could be used either by an individual for their own studies or exploration or in a classroom uh, setting. Okay, so um, I wanted to ask you, you before, uh, before we started the call, you had mentioned that somebody emailed you about the, um, you know, does anybody in the New Thought Movement have, um, do we have a prophetic movement, you know, yeah. and, I, we, you know, we threw some names out, you know, the Fillmore's, the Holmes, the, the Neville's who who wrote about, many, in, in many ways, what is possible when the application of this teaching happens? Can you speak a little bit about the uh, prophetic movement and maybe some of the people who s- stand out to you? Yeah, well, this is, you know, this email just came in yesterday and uh, it's somebody I'm working with uh, doing some some new thought and Bible history. So and they're doing it for their masters. And so they occasionally are asking me questions. And um, and I thought it was a fascinating question because they said, you know, it seems to me to their their view uh, that new thought is primarily in the uh, in terms of the Bible in the pastoral tradition, not the prophetic tradition, and and I thought that was probably a fair assessment. We don't typically use we don't use a lot of the language that that mainstream Christianity uses, um, and and so um, it was sort of a new idea for me to explore. Well, what does that mean? The prophetic tradition. I know what it means in Pentecostal circles, for example. Um, and could we, where do we fit in, in some of those definitions? It's a fascinating question. I don't pretend to have all the answers yet, but I think between you and I, I think we could have a fascinating discussion about it today. Um, I mean, I think you'd have to look at somebody go far, as far back as Emmanuel Swedenborg. Uh, that man was certainly prophetic. He was reaching into the dream world and into the mystic world and, uh, he, he was, in fact, very critical of the, of, uh, the dogmatic Christian tradition uh, and was very prophetic about the, uh, the the fate of Christianity if it didn't hold true to its principles. Um, and then you come to, uh, uh, well, we were talking on the break, somebody like Reverend Ike, uh, who certainly, I think, in terms of what we were talking about, uh, the legacy of our teaching being about the individual empowerment. He, I think, was a prophetic figure in terms of taking that teaching 
to the cities, to the inner cities. You know, he, he was he when when um, uh, Oral Roberts was filling up tents in in cornfields in Tennessee and Kansas. Uh, Reverend Ike was filling up, uh, you know, Madison Square Garden uh, and and arenas in Los Angeles and San Diego and Chicago. And um, and so he was taking the message to an urban audience uh, and um, to people of color and, and to anybody who would listen. I mean, he had a huge you know, radio listening audience and that sort of thing. So I think he was very much a prophetic figure. Um, Johnny Coleman, uh, we can't, can't leave her out of this. Uh, we talk about the role of women in new thought, uh, and Johnny Coleman standing on that legacy, both there in the city of Chicago, where Emma Curtis Hopkins went and, and in the, you know, early 1900s opened a school of theology led by a woman and taught thousands of students in the early 1900s. And, you know, some 60 years, 70 years later, uh, Johnny Coleman comes along and, um, it does something that up until that point, nobody in New Thought had done in building a mega church and, uh, expanding and creating this movement. Um, just an incredible, I think, prophetic legacy. And a lot of people, I don't know if in other shows you have focused on her legacy, but I would encourage you if you haven't to do so, because I don't think a lot of people understand how connected she was. I know people at Christ Universal Temple do, uh, but at the, uh, but at the movement, she knew everybody. I mean, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, Jesse Jackson and, and uh, you, you can list the names better than I, but she was very connected um, in uh, not only African-American community, the political community, religious community. Um, you know, she was out there and she was a trailblazer for our movement. And we're, we're a better movement because of her, her legacy and her service. And so I think you'd have to include her in the prophetic voice. Um, we talked about Holmes and, Fillmore and their vision for the world and what the world would be if people people would be truly connected to to their power and to their source. Uh, you know, Ernest Holmes at the end of his life, uh, his last published work at, while he was alive. We've since published many things that were unpublished at the time of his death, but uh, the last work he worked on was *The Voice Celestial*, which was sort of this epic poem. Uh, that again tapped into that dream space and that mystical space uh, about the potential of humanity. Uh, I think that kind of fits that uh, prophetic definition. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I do want to mention that I think that sometimes um, doesn't get emphasized enough is Fillmore's emphasis on the Christian ethic in New Thought. Yes, when you read. Um, you know, if you read his book on prosperity, for instance, it, you know, it's not the, you know, you know, just focus on your mind, what you want, this, what you need to do, et cetera. It has all that in it, you know, yep. divine mind, intention, how do you work with spiritual faculties, consciousness, creation, you know, experience, et cetera, et cetera. But consistently he comes back to it all belongs to God. Yes. And, 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 you know, just because we are stu- we're stewards of it, very traditional in, in that sense. And it's our job to help create the environment where the rules that apply now would not necessarily apply going forward. You know, um, I, I think if some people read his prosperity book for what it actually is, it, it, it has some level of, dare I say it, uh, a social gospel, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, because because you know he, he didn't believe in in the, the the systems that were that was devoid of the golden rule and honoring people's divinity and being an integrity and things of that nature. I'm not saying that he was perfect by any stretch of the imagination. You know, only people that walk on water are people who spill water on the floor. The the <laughs> The 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 issue though that I, that I like about his particular teaching on that subject is 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 consistently different because it's you know even you know because he makes sure that he made sure that he was always promoting the Jesus Christ teachings to make sure that this doesn't become so individualistic that we forget about everybody else and our responsibility in God's creation. Yes. I think I, I think it's a uniqueness 
to that book when you read that book and you read uh, uh, what a lot of his peers were writing at the time. Uh, and it, even though it includes all of that stuff, so much of the, so, so much so that I think a lot of people stole a lot of his material. Matter of fact, I know so. Uh, I heard, um, and I can say this because he preached it live, so he might as well, we just accept it. I'm not throwing shade his way, but the uh, Pentecostal prosperity teacher, Dr. Leroy Thompson, preached a whole sermon where he, all he did was read Charles Fillmore's first chapter of prosperity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went and got my book. I, I, I was in bed, ran downstairs to my, to, to my office, pulled up my, got my book, laid in bed and read it while he preached it. Yeah. But he was teaching it as prophetic. Right. right. <laughs> Back to our question. Yeah. What's well, the prophetic tradition? And yeah. that is a really good point that, um, you know, first of all, uh, connecting to the Fillmore's is I think it's something that is there's a it's part of what is the distinguishing characteristics, which I say without labeling that as good or bad, uh, but, but the distinguishing characteristics between unity and centers for spiritual living. The Fillmores were very committed to uh, the the Christian ideals and that language, and certainly uh, not because Holmes forgot it. He certainly did not. You read the text, and uh, and he's all about it. Um, but as the movements have have evolved and and moved moved on, um, I think we've lost some of our Christian identity in. Center in the religious science, science of mind, centers for spiritual living side of the family. Um, and I think sometimes that's to our detriment because we forget uh, that Christian, uh, you know, liberal Christianity is a big part of what fueled uh, the New Thought Awakening. Uh, and, and many people within Christian circles have been using New Thought messages and using New Thought authors uh, to fuel their own ministries for many, many years. That, that, in fact, that goes all the way back. Is, is one of the things that popped out when I was doing this history, and I was doing this mind map uh, work. And uh, I believe you, perhaps when you first saw this mind map, was when I was doing a presentation in Chicago uh, right. with Bishop Carlton Pearson. And so I was doing this research, and uh, we're talking about the, you know, just mapping it all out and the lineage from Holmes and Fillmore's and others all the way back. Uh, we go to Quimby and, and, you know, figure out what he was doing and et cetera. And as I was uh, building my relationship with Carlton Pearson and talking about his tradition and, and you know, learning things like Johnny Coleman uh, would go down to Oral Roberts University and, and, um, uh, I don't know if she took classes or just sat in, or but you know she, I know she. Um, she used to like to go to the healing revivals. Yeah, the healing revivals. That's what that was. Her, yeah, she liked to be around people who understood spirit. Yeah, that was her thing. Yeah, and, and so I was fascinated by this sort of this cross breeding, right, between <laughs> Pentecostals or the Word of Faith movement and and New Thought, and because it seemed to be, and we are living in a, in a new era of that. And as I uh, learned about some of the history of that, I thought, that's really fascinating. And began following those breadcrumbs. And um, and I'm talking to Carlton Pearson, and, and he says, well, he says, um, you know, you really have to look at the work of, of E.W. Kenyon. And I said, okay. And uh, and I said, well, the research shows that uh, this other guy, uh, I think, uh, Higgins or Hagen, yeah, I think Kenneth Hagen, yeah. Kenneth Hagen yes. uh, is the is the sort of the father of uh, Word of Faith and and all of that. And he said, "Oh no," he said, "You know, Kenneth Hagen was plagiarizing uh, almost word for word E. W. Kenyon." And he said, "I have Kenyon's books. I'll show you." And and uh, and he did. <laughs> and then we had a great conversation about it. So I went back and I said, "Well, that's interesting. Why why would that be the case?" And it didn't take long. It wasn't hard to figure out. Uh, read some biographies on E.W. Kenyon. E.W. Kenyon, in his own words, admits and, and, and says that he learns about the power of the mind to heal the body from the writings of Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. Mm-hmm. And did so while he was at Emerson College uh, in Boston, which was which was a, still is a liberal arts college, but at that time was even teaching more uh, this metaphysical uh, kind of kind of stuff, and and so there we have this connection where the same power of the mind was 
was tapped into uh, by Quimby and then everybody who followed uh, in that route and by E.W. Kenyon and everybody who followed that route. The distinction between the two was that Kenyon and those who came after him wrapped it in a biblical Christian theological context, uh, ascribed the power of what you and I would call the the uh, accessible power of the infinite mind, uh, they ascribed that power to the Holy Ghost and to the power of Jesus and, and all these other uh, signifiers within Christian language. Um, and those from uh, Quimby to Mary Baker Eddy to Emma Curtis Hopkins to the Fillmores to Holmes, etc., they ascribed that power to something more universal and universally accessible uh, by anyone and everyone and by all traditions, including Christianity. And so here we have, you know, these two branches that we are really cousins of the Pentecostal tradition. And I'm, I'm not sure that that statement lands too well in some new thought circles and probably doesn't land too well in some Pentecostal circles. <laughs> uh, but, but nonetheless, the history is there. And uh, so anyway, I don't remember what, long rampage that started me on why I did that. But there you no, 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 but the, I think the point of it was when he's talking about uh, Dr. Thompson preaching Fillmore, I yes, think what, yes. what it does gives us value in recognizing when some new thought people will say, well, Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or, yes. or um, um, Creflo Dollar or, you know, it's a popular uh, word of faith minister in the Chicagoland area, uh, Bill Winston or somebody. They sound new thought. They talk about speaking the word and faith and uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and the power of the mind, et cetera. But they wrap it under fun, in fundamentalist Christian language yes. because they took it and put it in, into fundamentalism. Yes. Pentecostal fundamentalism in particular. Because, Right. And there's a reason they right. sound uh, new thought right. because our books are on their bookshelves in absolutely. their personal library. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No doubt. Absolutely. And Reverend Coleman was friends. She brought Benny Hinn to Chicago just to meet her staff. Wow. I was here. So I know that it happened. Yeah. You know, I know that she knew Robert Shuler. She preached at Robert Shuler's. She took me to Robert Shuler's uh-huh. um, when we were in California. Um, you know, uh, she, she knew she knew these people. She yeah. took me to Rick Warren's conference mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with several other ministers, and she stopped. She didn't know him. She said, "I want to meet this young man. I've been hearing good things about him." Took a, about seven or eight of us and flew to California on one week notice. Like mm-hmm. literally, I was coming back from Miami. I'd been gone for eight days. She said, "I need you to be ready on Sunday." This, <laughs> I got in that Saturday. The next Sunday, she's like, "Be ready next Sunday. We're flying out." Oh. Okay, so you know, but but she, because she, anytime she saw people doing what she thought was good work, she wouldn't check them out, and, yeah. and she built the relationships with them. But here's the thing: a lot of people, um, I, I you know, um, because this was said to me privately, I'm not gonna say it publicly who said it, but a very well known uh, Christian leadership trainer told me that um, when he was started doing work with Reverend Coleman. <laughs> that when he flew back to his hometown, which I'm not going to say which, but it's a very large city in, in the United States, that many of the popular mega TV evangelists that he was working with, when they found out that he was working with Reverend Coleman, all wanted to meet her. Can you call her for me? Can you talk? These people had, gig- I mean, they have gigantic ministries yeah. right now. Right. But but she was seen as a predecessor because they followed her work. Matter of fact, yes. um, Reverend Al Sharpton came and spoke here and said that he used to get the tapes of Reverend Coleman in the eighties. Right. He's right. not a, he's not a new thought minister, but he was following. So right. I don't think at times we recognize how much our movement is influenced and, and, and to, to, to me, it's not bothersome, but I think it's, it's, it's worth wondering why we have the message in this quote unquote purity Yet people can take part of our message, put it in their systems that are better than ours, and produce uh, churches, ministries, online, TV, uh, mission missions, and all these type of things to spread their version of our teaching, mixed with you know the you know my opinion. This not you, this me saying it. The smackdown God, the heaven hell, literal, and all the other stuff, and the, the 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 violent God mixed with this mind power. Yet we have churches that struggle 
the mm-hmm. you know, like right. really struggle. Yes. You know, um, you know, for every Christ Universal Temple and Agape, there's somebody who's trying to figure out how to keep the doors open. Right. And and I think we need to reevaluate that. And I have my own opinion about it. So let me just put this out there right now that that, that we don't have a system of producing our best presenters. Right. Yeah, because they put their they put their best foot forward. So, you know, when you show up to they, they've consistently produced better presenters of their message than us because mm-hmm. new thought as a whole hasn't learned how to the the power of the lecture and the preacher and the presenter in a way that um fundamentalist christianity has which produces the process and i think reverend coleman figured that out she, she was an exceptional leader obviously spiritual healer teacher of metaphysics and prosperity and all that other stuff but as a presenter and a personality that could present this message, she almost had no peer. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's incredibly important that we remember that. And, I, and that to me is the thing that sort of drives my passion around New Thought history. Uh, it, it's finding those bridges and those connections, the ways in which uh, people like Johnny Coleman uh, connected with um, the other leaders and other traditions of her day and, and that they wanted to follow her and they got the tapes and the messages and the books and uh, the other versions of those stories and to bring those to light and to, because I think what that does is through learning that, through that history, we can begin to tear down the, the, the wall of the, the very false wall that we have, I think sometimes in new thought of, of our own self arrogance, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that we, that we're so much better than, you know, fundamentalism or, um, or whatever it might, you know, however it might, it has a number of ways of showing up. Uh, but we have an arrogance that, uh, is based on a false sense of self that keeps us isolated and separated. And, and it, it ought not be the case. We need to be at the table, uh, in our local communities and, um, you know, so the way that shows up for me is knowing that history bolsters me in a way that allows me to go out into my local community and and I get myself involved both locally and nationally uh, with interfaith groups and, and organizations with um, traditional, whether they're fundamental, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever. Uh, and I put myself right in there uh, as a peer and say, we have work to do together. Right. Uh, and if they look at me as, oh, you're that weirdo, new thought, separate, like, no, 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 no. You know, <laughs> I belong here. You've been using my stuff for years, you know, <laughs> and just break it down, not, not yeah. to, uh, not to build myself up, but so that, but so that myself and my ministry can be of service to the community. Uh, we don't do our, any, ourselves any favor by keeping ourselves isolated and thinking that we're so different than the rest of the faith any faith movement uh, that has been a allergy that we've had for a long time. Uh, and, and we need to get over it. And uh, well, John uh, Coleman didn't have it. Michael Beckwith yeah. doesn't have it. Uh, you look right. at the great leaders. Ernest Holmes didn't have it. He had great relationships with people of all faith backgrounds, uh, Catholic mystics and, and incredible number of people. Um, and so you look at the great leaders and you think, well, they didn't have this issue, but many of our ministers today do. And, um, and we need to tear down that wall so that we can get to the work of, um, we have a great message and we have a great message that can help heal the social ills of today. Uh, they need us as much as we need them. I call it new thought elitism. You know, I tell my classes, students in my class, I said, new thought elitism shows up every time you see a situation and you say, oh, and you judge them or criticize them that way they don't have truth, that way they don't know truth. Instead of being the consciousness and stopping and praying and putting your, what you believe into practice in that moment, we, 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 we put ourselves above because of, the, uh, of our theological precepts. I right. said, no, that's not the space. I said, it's, I was like, we can talk elitism all we want, but they're outpacing us. Yes. So if somebody takes what you, what you, you claim is your own, and doesn't it doesn't and mixes it with what they have, and then they produce a product that people are saying they want, they desire, and they're producing these 
ministries. Not, I'm not, and I'm not judging by the size of the ministries, but you just have to be mindful. Like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. So somewhere along the way, we need to reevaluate. And if we've only got one minute left before we have to transition out, I just wanted to get this one little part in. The, 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 I think sometimes we get too caught up also in language. Um, one of the things that the, the best ministers do across the board, regardless of the faith, is they figure out a way to transition their language into the listening of the hearer. And, you know, if we start off with the infinite mind of the one, the, 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 you know, the, the intelligence that, Said, you know, New Thought has a has a a, a jargon uh-huh. that that s- sounds great to the people who understand it, but how do you bridge it? Right. And we have to figure out better ways to bridge. I'm always figuring out because one of the things that Reverend Coleman always taught us was, um, you know, get to the metaphysics, get to the practical. The practical meant was how do you. Uh, now you've given them this. How do you give them something that they can leave with that they can do after they hear you? So for us, it, we can't be theoretical because that's not the way we were taught. And I can't speak for all a new thought, but I can say that she would dr- drill in her ministers. Is it practical? Is it practical? Is it practical? Because she wanted to make sure that the people that were she was responsible for teaching always had something that they could leave with immediately and do. Yes. So. So for me, if I haven't given people practical application, I haven't preached. Mm-hmm. I haven't taught a class. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to get back because that's the tradition of the Fillmore's. That's the tradition of the Holmes. That's the tradition of the Neville's. That's the traditions of the Eric Butterworth's. That's the traditions of the of the giants of our movement. And I think if we are mindful of that, we'll be able to do great work. And I've, I've taken up – all the time. David, we're going to have to do this again. <laughs> we're going to have to we, do it we, again. We didn't, sure, this was good. We, yeah, we only scratched the surface, so we have to figure out another time we can do this. Um, so let me just say thank you because um, we have to transition on to the, whoever is coming up behind me. So thank you so much for coming coming on. Um, I'll make sure that I get you that Reverend Coleman material. I'll make a note of that and make sure that you know we send whatever's appropriate the appropriate material and um we'll take it from there so god bless you brother congratulations on on um baby on the way <laughs> Thank I, you know i don't know your wife personally but tell her i said hello and congratulations and god bless you and uh, we'll be in touch all right sounds good brother thank you so much this was a delight thank you thank you listeners we'll be with you next week with truth transforms Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. It is the birthright of each and every one of us to live an awakened life. Most religions and spiritual traditions teach us that we need to adopt a certain belief system or follow some prescribed steps to attain a state of enlightenment. A long-held belief about awakening is that only a small number of people destined to become gurus or spiritual teachers can attain it. It is certainly true that until recent times, only a small number of people on the planet had attained this state of full self-realization. These saints, mystics, and spiritual masters were seen as special. They certainly were at the time. However, times are changing. This message was brought to you by T.J. Woodward, host of Awakened Living Radio. Learn more from T.J. on his weekly podcasts. Episodes are available on UnityOnlineRadio.org, iTunes, and Google Play Music. When we think of peace, we may imagine ourselves sitting high on a mountaintop at daybreak or walking on a secluded beach while the sun sets. But peace isn't a luxury reserved only for special occasions or special places. It's an essential tool for daily living. My peace isn't dependent upon a particular place or event. 
At any time and in any circumstance, I can shift my focus from the appearances of life to the reality of peace within myself. Park Cousins said, How things look on the outside of us depends on how things are on the inside of us. So if you don't like what you're seeing around you, paint a different picture within you. Peace. What I see is what I get. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa one to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.